How did we get here and where do we go from here? When I asked Sun Devil fans to send me their questions for this mailbag podcast episode, that was truly the running theme that was presented to me. So I thank everyone who sent their questions, and I'm more than happy to not only answer each and every one of them, but also provide more context and my opinion on the topics that were brought up. There's a lot of questions to go through, so let's get this thing started. Welcome to the Devil's Junkies podcast. I'm your host and DevilsDigest.com publisher, Hode Rubino. And as mentioned, this podcast is your stage, the Arizona State fan, to get the most complete and accurate picture of the football team, as well as some athletic department, conference realignment topics mixed in as well. Without further ado, let's dive in right into the questions. And first and foremost, I'm going to take care of those who take care of me and address the questions that did come from my premium subscribers at DevilsDigest.com. And the first question comes from West Valley Devil. What's the quote-unquote mood in the locker room? Do you think the kids are still buying into head coach Kenny Dillingham? I would say absolutely the players are definitely buying into what Dillingham and his staff is preaching every day. I think that the team culture is strong, even though they're going through a very rough season, 1-5 and record on a current five-game losing streak. And to me, the biggest proof of that was how they responded after that Fresno State loss, a shutout defeat at home, 29 to nothing, not only the lowest point of the season, but I think one of the worst games that I've seen in my 24 years covering the Sun Devils, definitely a, a game in Tempe. And it was really easy, especially with the first year head coaching staff, which obviously none of the players really had any previous experiences with. Uh, you have maybe returning players that are used to a different way of things, and not that that was a conducive method to handle a team, as evident by a 3-9 record last season. But nonetheless, I think a lot could have gone wrong in terms of this season circling the drain and circling the drain fast. And I know some will say, well, if the end result of what transpired after that Fresno State loss was just three more losses... I think that you also have to look at the manner that the team have played because if a shutout lost was followed by another abysmal defeat at the hands of USC, which was the next game after that, a game, if you recall, that USC was a near five-touchdown favorite, and Arizona State loses only by two touchdowns, with the last touchdowns for the Trojans coming very late in the game. Then you see them go on the road, lose to Cal but by only three points, and then come home this past Saturday, lose to Colorado only by three points. I'm not here to suggest small victories, but I think there's definitely a very strong case to be made that this team did not give up on Dillingham and the staff, that the mood in the locker room, the team culture in the locker room was definitely conducive for a team that was going to get better each and every week, and not give up on itself, not give up on, on on the coaches. So I definitely think that the vast majority of players, I'm not going to pretend to know the psyche of each and every player in that locker room, but the vast majority of these players are absolutely buying into what head coach Kenny Dillingham is trying to bring across in terms of elements that are conducive for success. So yes, I think that even under really tough and challenging circumstances. And I know that might be overstating the obvious when you're going through a five-game losing streak. But nonetheless, under very tough circumstances, this team is responding in a mental standpoint, re- responding well, and now it's just some physical components to the game that it is lacking. And we'll talk about that when we get to the other questions in this podcast. Another question from West Valley Devil is, if you had to pick whether they will win one more game or no, which game would you choose right now to mark that victory? Um, Yes, I mean, I think that Arizona City is definitely capable of winning one more game, maybe even two uh, the rest of the way. The two games that I'm picking, and again, it's (laughs) hard to speculate at this point when you're going through a five-game losing streak when the team is actually going to get off the snide, but I think a home game against Washington State at the end of this month uh, does provide a good opportunity. And I think the Territorial Cup 
the Saturday after Thanksgiving provides another good opportunity because you just look at the other games um, on the road at Washington, on the road at Utah, on the road at UCLA, and at home against Oregon. In the grand scheme of things, games that Arizona State, even if they played at a higher level than they are right now, might have a real hard time winning just because of the sheer disparity of talent. I mean, maybe UCLA on the road because the Bruins are just uh, – unpredictable uh, team, it seems like, from week to week. But again, in my best estimation, I think the home game against Washington State and the home game against Arizona are going to be the two next likely wins if ASU were to win three games this year. The next question from one of my premium subscribers, Lobo Jangles. What is going on or not going on at halftime that is putting Arizona State behind the chains for the rest of the game? Is a lack of adjustment, outsmarting themselves, or oranges and juice boxes only? That is definitely a great question, Loba Jangles. And I think there's something to be said about the so-called chess match that ASU is winning in the first half, but not winning in the second half when it comes to just strategic approaches. I think there's definitely something to be said about that. I also feel that while nobody from the defensive staff or the defensive players will publicly say how frustrated they are with the offense not supporting them, how frustrated they are with a punting situation, which kind of resolved itself last week against Colorado, but overall has not been doing any favors for the ASU offense or the ASU defense for that matter, that it's almost as if the Sun Devils are really playing with one hand tied behind their back when it does come to the offensive side of the ball. I also think that the the lack of generating explosive plays on offense also really shrinks the effectiveness level that this unit can produce. And maybe it's something that you can kind of get away with in the first half. And I think Arizona State has, by and large, been able to prove that. But in the second half, as an offense, if you're not able to sustain long drives, let alone have those drives result in points on the board. I mean, let's not forget this is an ASU offense that was scoreless for six straight quarters earlier in the season, an offense that only last week against Colorado scored seven points in the entire second half. Those are really issues that are causing a lot of the second half downfalls. And honestly, it's still amazing that Arizona State is able to keep the games as close as they are been able to keep it in the last three weeks. So this is the bye week where everybody does self-scout themselves, self-evaluate themselves. And I'm sure that the ASU coaching staff, as we speak, is taking a look at all the bad trends that took place over the first six games, all the shortcomings that have been displayed during that stretch, and trying to correct those. And I'm sure that the decline in the second half is something that is being looked at really closely. And again, I think that some of the reasons that I brought up over here are definitely contributing to that. And if they can correct most, let alone all of those aspects, I think that you'll see a consistently better Arizona State team that plays both a strong first half, but also is able to close the deal in the second half. Another question from Lobo Jankles. I was so excited about tight end Jalen Connors this year. Been a huge, huge disappointment. Is it due to injury, lack of focus, got too big? I'm assuming talking about being out of shape. He's just not the same player that he was last year. I think they're definitely all valid reasons uh, for that. Uh, Jalen Connors, yes, has been battling multiple injuries already in this uh, six-game season to date. If when you do battle injuries, I Obviously, not able to work out at the same level as a healthy player can cause you by default to be out of shape. I don't know if I really saw Jalen Connors being out of shape during fall camp when he was uh, injury-free. But definitely when those injuries hurt, it seemed like something did change in that matter, too. Um, Lack of focus, I think that may be a byproduct of being sidelined with an injury and not being in the game, pun intended. Uh, does cause you not to be me- mental, have the mental approach, I'm sorry, uh, to be over there at, at, at a conducive level. 
the fact that, and I know that some of you already noticed that, that Jalen Conyers was practicing with the wide receivers all of last week, was also warming up with the wide receivers pregame prior to the Colorado contest, and was playing very sparingly. Now, Kenny Dillingham said that Jalen Conyers was sick for a couple days this past week, and that caused him to not get as many snaps as he normally would against Colorado. But I also feel, and again, this is another example of something that you're not going to say out loud, but when you do see the actions taking place, not hard to put one and one together. And that is that if you have a tight end moving to a wide receiver role and knowing that there's no glaring depth issue at wide receiver, which we know there isn't, then it's a clear indication that the coaching staff is not happy with the level of blocking that you're providing on on the line of scrimmage. And there was definitely a message, I think, being sent to Jalen Conyers. I, from what I know, the message has been received. And in terms of the mental approach that we're going to see from Conyers after the bye week, I think we're going to see a different player and a player that really resembles much more than what we saw from him in the latter part of 2022, which really was a breakout season for him in some respects. So it's hard for me to see the offense really being more explosive with points on the board, explosive with large chunks of yardage plays without Jalen Connors being a pretty big part of that. So if the struggles continue for Jalen Connors personally, I think uh, those are struggles that can trickle down to the rest of the offense and not really allow the coaches, allow the fans to see progress from the first six games of the year. But if Jalen Connors can truly turn the page and be a better player in a physical manner, in a mental manner, then you might see a whole different Sun Devil offense. And going back to an earlier point, also Sun Devil offense that is able to play just as well, if not better in the second half, as they did in the first half. The next question, another premium subscriber, Astros fan. Um, he uh, feels that the Herm Edwards hangover of culture discipline, as well as the postseason ban that was placed on the team uh, just before the season started, uh, that can you know definitely have its effects when you look at a 1-5 record. But does he feel that things are trending in the right directions or is really going to take a full season and off season prior to the 2024 campaign, maybe some more player shuffling to get this program where it really needs to be. And he says, it's not really talking about the sheer talent of the team, but more about the vibe, leadership and culture. And yes, I mean, I think there's definitely something to be said about going through the learning curve of year one with a new coaching staff. And I know a lot of folks that are listening to this podcast are going to jump on me right now and saying, well, what about Colorado? And not just because they played in Tempe a few days ago, but just because the turnaround over there where you had a Buffalo squad that was even worse than ASU last year winning one game. And here they are already at four and two were ranked earlier in the year and continue to be the, the talk of college football in many respects, especially because of flamboyant personality of the head coach, Deion Sanders. But I really think that what you see at Colorado is the anomaly. I know it's not a statement that's going to make Sunderville fans feel better about what's going on in the program here in Tempe. But nonetheless, what's happening over there is definitely not typical if you just look at the history of college football turnarounds from one year to another. But going back to my earlier point, is the conducive to success team culture there? Is the leadership there? I think in many regards it is. Now, would you like to see the same level of leadership on offense as you do see on defense? Absolutely. I think that's a valid point. I think it goes back to the earlier point of an offense that is not really clicking on all cylinders, is not playing well in the second half as they do many times in the first half. So there's definitely something to be said about that. But it's also an aspect that I feel can be corrected, can at least make significant strides in the right direction in year two compared to what you would call maybe even a vicious learning curve that does take place in year one. 
The next question from premium subscriber, the original Sun Devil for Life. Does ASU win another game this year? That's a question I addressed earlier, and I said yes. I think they can win one to two more games this year with the home games against Washington State and Arizona being the ones, at least in my opinion, are the likely ones to end up in the win column for the Sun Devils. The second question is, does quarterback Jaden Rashada line up behind center ever again at any point of the season? I think the answer is yes. Uh, as we know, Jaden Rashada did re-aggravate a high school knee injury, so he only started the first two games for Arizona State and has been sidelined ever since. I think the caveat is that if we do see him later on this year, which I think there's a good chance that this will happen, it will only be for two more games because preserving a red shirt for the true freshman signal caller, especially in the season that likely to end up in a sub 500 season, a season where you really don't want to mortgage the future and have somebody like Rashada burn a red shirt year after being out of the lineup for so long. I think that, uh, if you do see him later on this year, it's not going to be for more than two games. So I also think health-wise, by the way, that he probably wouldn't be available to truly be healthy until the month of November. So I can't tell you which two games in November is he going to see action, whether it be the first two, the last two. But yes, I think there's a good chance that uh, Jaden Rashada will be seeing game day action later on this year. But again, I don't think it's going to be for more than two contests because it's absolutely the prudent approach to preserve his red shirt in a season like the 2023 one. Next question comes from Sparky BMX 13 Do you feel running back Cam Scadaboo is a legit running back or just a fullback with versatility? I feel every time Scadaboo gets the ball to run, he just gets stuffed every time. He doesn't exactly have the gear to get it all the way downfield. Uh, mentioned the uh, game against uh, Cal on the road. Are there any other running backs that are ready to go and not injured? Well, I would disagree about Cam Scadaboo. I think that in many respects, he is the offensive MVP of the Sun Devils midseason. I do believe that he's a running back that when he does get in the open field, and maybe this happened more in passing plays rather than rushing plays, he definitely does show some wheels in the open field, uh, definitely has that physical element that you do refer to, but I think when you call somebody a fullback with versatility, you're not giving them, you know, really full credit to be a running back that can consistently move the chains. And I think that is a term that does not describe Cam Skadaboo at all, at least at least not in my opinion. So I have all the respect for the way that the Sacramento State uh, transfer has played uh, this year. I think he's maybe the most exciting player on offense right now, along probably with wide receiver Elijah Badger, who I think in the last few weeks has really come to his own and really reminded us uh, the finer moments that he had in the 2022 season. But going back to Skadaboo, I think the fact that the offensive line has been very consistent with their run blocking and really in their pass blocking as well uh, has definitely hurt his his running abilities, and I think the last two games against Cal and against Colorado definitely did reflect that. As we know, he was uh, banged up the whole week leading up to the Colorado game, uh, did not fully practice by any means, and was on a pretty tight snap count against the Buffaloes. So that is something that also affected his production. In terms of uh, having any other running backs that can maybe complement him, uh, I think the injury to uh, DeCarlos De Brooks uh, earlier in the year has definitely hurt the running game because he was one of the better players on offense overall uh, during the contest that he did see action. And the fact that he's been missing uh, ever since he got injured in the Oklahoma State game uh, has definitely hurt the uh, the rushing attack overall. You know, players like uh, Tevin White and, and Kyson Brown have showed some flashes here or there. Honestly, I expect more than Tevin White being the older player between the two, but uh, the production really has not been there. And yes, uh, not to belabor the point, but the offensive line really has not been all that supportive in the running game efforts to begin with. George Hart III, who I think could have contributed 
if he was healthy to the running back group, him missing in action uh, does also hurt the ground attack for the Sun Devils. So I will agree that the ground attack as a whole for Arizona State has been largely disappointing, especially in recent weeks. I mean, it's one thing to go up against a pretty good Cal defense, but going going up against a Colorado defense, who I believe going into the ASU contest was giving up around 180 yards on average on on the ground to really muster 50-some yards against them uh, was really uh, very, very disappointing. And not just presenting a balanced offense, especially in the second half, I think really hurt Arizona State quite a bit. Uh, if DeCarlos Brooks uh, is able to come back healthy after the bye week, Camp Skadaboy, I got to imagine, is only going to be healthier in two weeks than he is currently. Uh, you might see a different running game. And maybe, I would say, see Camp Skadaboy, who's from your neck of the woods, after all, up there in Northern California, in a different light. Next question from Boozer69 that really does ask the same questions that I just answered in terms of the running back group, but specifically asking about is there a need for a major upgrade to the running back group? Now look, I think that running back is just one of those positions where if you feel you can get a special player at that position, you're not so worried about what your depth chart looks like. I know it's maybe a worn-out cliche in football, but you can never have too many running backs. It just seems to be one of those positions where players do get injured often compared to other roles on the field. So, yeah, I would say absolutely if Arizona State can get a good running back, whether it be from the 2024 class, whether it be from the transfer portal, they absolutely should go after such a player. You never know what attrition is going to look like, not only the running back room, but any other room on the team. So, yes, if if Arizona State coaching staff does feel that there's a running back out there that can help them, Again, whether it be from the high school ranks or whether it be from the transfer portal, they absolutely should pursue such a player. Next question comes from Santan Devil. Is Bo Baldwin Arizona State's offensive coordinator next year? And whether he stays or goes, what needs to change in the offense? Well, look, you don't have to be a football savant to state that if an offensive coordinator is stripped from his play calling duties already in week three, and it doesn't even matter how greatly or poorly the season is going up to that point, that that definitely does not bode well for his future as being part of this staff. That streak I mentioned earlier of being scoreless for six consecutive quarters that happened while Bo Baldwin was the offensive coordinator, that 29 to nothing loss to Fresno State, even though it was a team that already has been ranked earlier this year in the top 25, that was also the same Fresno State defense that gave up over 30 points in each of their first two games of the year until they come to Tempe and not only play well, but absolutely shut out the Arizona State offense on their home turf. I think uh, that was definitely the last straw, and kudos to Kenny Dillingham for making that change and assigning the play call, uh, call duties uh, to himself. After all, I think when you look at the history of Kenny Dillingham as an offensive coordinator versus the history of Paul Baldwin, namely in Cal, as an offensive coordinator, uh, you definitely do see two different trajectories, two different measures of success. So that was a change that should have been made early in the season and was made. And we have seen a better ASU offense ever since then. True, it did not result in any wins along the way. But nonetheless, uh, you're definitely seeing an offense that is operating at a better level, even with all the issues at offensive line, even with all the injuries at quarterback, which really was a turnstile there for a little bit. But uh, nonetheless, when it comes to projecting the future of Bo Baldwin as being a member of the staff, I don't know how Bo Baldwin could want to even be part of this staff in 2024, knowing that he's not going to be the play caller and still serving as offensive coordinator. And I don't think that Kenny Dillingham as a head coach can really justify keeping Bo Baldwin on staff in 2024 after he stripped his play calling duties in week three of this current season. So there is going to be a change and Kenny Dillingham did not make a good hire at offensive coordinator. That's maybe that's one hire that he would love to have back, but there's a lot of lessons to be learned as a first year head coach, as a first year staff on many levels. And I think 
the hire of the offensive coordinator was just one more facet that falls into that bucket. And I trust that Kenny Dillingham will make a better choice when hiring an offensive coordinator for 2024. Again, the success that Kenny Dillingham has had at offensive coordinator would lead me to believe that he's not going to make a bad hire two years in a row in the position which I think he definitely does have the most expertise in. Next question comes from Ryan Johnson, 02. Will Arizona State President Dr. Michael Crow finally, after 20-some years on the job, hire a real athletic director, or will he try to be innovative again and hire someone that does not know what they're doing? Also, if hired, can we expect athletic director to be paid the same amount as Ray Anderson? That's an excellent question, Ryan. Uh, I do uh, agree with you that Michael Crow has gone a little too hard out of the box hiring the two athletic directors that he did hire, uh, Lisa Love and now uh, Ray Anderson. And I would say in the middle, Steve Patterson, who was probably the de facto athletic director at some point, but none of them really had any experience as being athletic directors at other schools, let alone in other Power Five schools. Uh, Lisa Love was a high-level administrator in the athletic department for USC. Maybe that's the closest thing that she came to as far as collegiate experience. Uh, Steve Patterson came from the uh, professional level, I believe it was the uh, NBA level with the Portland Trailblazers, if memory serves me correct. And uh, Ray Anderson, obviously, coming from the NFL realm, uh, was the right hand of uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell for a few years at that time. I think it is time to go in a different direction, just like they did go in a different direction, hiring somebody like Kenny Dillingham, who did not have experience as a head coach, to serve as a head coach of the ASU football program. I think it's also time to go in a different direction, but maybe a sensible direction when it comes to an athletic director hire and hire somebody who does have a lot of experience in that role. Um, I know that one one person that we talked to about, I'm sorry, on my premium board was uh, David uh, Benedict, who is the athletic director at the University of Connecticut and was a high-level administrator in the athletic department at Arizona State several years ago. I believe he was also born and raised in the Valley, did not attend Arizona State, but uh, definitely has a strong local connections here. His wife is a former All-American gymnast at Arizona State, and he would be one heck of a higher you know, UConn, as we know, uh, the reigning basketball national champion. So there's definitely some uh, credibility uh, there in terms of Benedict's resume. Does he deserve to get paid the same as Ray Anderson? Yes, absolutely he does. Ray Anderson is the second highest paid athletic director in the country. David Benedict, from what I can see online, is number 14. So yes, I think Benedict absolutely deserves to get the same salary as Ray Anderson does, which would be in the neighborhood of about $1 million a year. But that is a salary that with Benedict's body of work compared to Anderson's body of work or lack thereof, I think is absolutely a hire that has to be made. And again, if you want to lure somebody like Benedict, even with all his local ties, uh, you're going to have to throw some money at him. And that will be money well spent, in my opinion. And the last question from Appium subscribers comes from Devil in Exile. Does everyone think Ray Anderson is leaving at the end of the year? Uh, that's a question that I did address both privately and, and publicly. And I do believe that once the NCAA investigation is going to be concluded, and I know one of the future questions in this podcast is asking me when it's going to be concluded, which on the one hand is anybody's guess. On the other hand, the fact that it really began about two and a half years ago would lead me to believe that we're much closer to the end of it than we are at uh, the midpoint or let alone the beginning stages of it. So I believe that the NCAA investigation is going to conclude by the end of this calendar year. I'm not going to put any odds on it because it's an investigation that definitely has dragged on. And on a serious note, uh, one of the lead investigators in this investigation did pass away while the investigation was still going on. So that was also a setback that uh, did take place concerning the timeline of this. But in my opinion, Ray Anderson and Arizona State are going to part ways once this investigation is concluded. Whether that takes place at the end of the year or spills over to 2024, 
hard to say, but nonetheless, I think maybe that's what we have to look at in terms of a potential, and I stress potential, timeline for Ray Anderson no longer being the athletic director at Arizona State. Okay, let's move on to some questions from Twitter. Uh, First question, and I'll put a blanket apology if I butcher uh, any names on uh, social media over here. At Rob Reg 562 he says that uh, R.J. Reagan uh, should be playing more, one of the better talented defensive backs that ASU has that can play cornerback, nickel, and safety. He showed in the Cal game how physical he was. He's been one of the more consistent players in practice. What are your thoughts about the defensive back selection? Look, I think when it comes to R.J. Reagan, uh, he definitely proved himself in that Cal game. It did play well uh, when Jordan Clark, the starting nickel, was not able to go, and his backup, Mason Williams, did have to leave the game during injury. Archer Reagan did, did a fine job. I'm not, not taking anything away from him. He's not playing at the same level of a Jordan Clark or of a Mason Williams, so that's why he's not getting game day snaps ahead of them. I can tell you that from what we saw from Archer Reagan during spring practice, and I would say even during fall camp, compared to what we're seeing now, we're definitely seeing development. We're definitely seeing a good trajectory here. So I would uh, expect him to get more playing time if there were injuries that prevented Clark and or Mason Williams from playing or playing a good number of snaps. But as far as him upping his niche in the depth chart at the expense of one of those players that are on both of them, no, I do not do not see that happening. Next question comes from at Harsh Harpy. How do you think Arizona State can make a statement in recruiting and any possible highly touted recruits you think Arizona State has a chance on? Look, when it comes to the recruiting landscape, not only at Arizona State, but I think across college football, the fact that you can add an unlimited number of players each and every year, as long as you do stay within the total 85 scholarship limit, does uh, make it hard to really balance how many recruits you're going to get from the high school ranks and how many recruits you're going to get from the transfer portal. Now, look, I'm not under any illusion that the Blue Buds out there are still going to try and be successful in most cases getting the most talented players out of high school and maybe cherry-picking whatever positions they need to get from the transfer portal. I think with Arizona State, if you do have a burning need at a certain position, you're probably going to look to the portal first and only then see if you have any luck with the high school ranks You know, when it comes to offensive and defensive line, which I think everybody would agree would be a huge priority in the 2024 class, as it is, you want to get players that are mature physically, mature mentally, and that is much harder to achieve, especially in the trenches, getting somebody like that from the high school ranks that can have a good, let alone great chance to be in the two deep, let alone an impact player. But if you get somebody on the offensive or defensive line from the transfer portal, you have a much better chance to have that plug-and-play contributor. So I think that Arizona State is going to get some good high school prospects in the 24 class and, and in future classes too. You're just not going to see an abundance of it until it comes to a point where Arizona State feels comfortable enough not going as heavy on the transfer portal, but actually going heavier on the high school ranks. But ultimately, if you're a team that's winning in the double digits on a pretty consistent level, I just don't see why you would have the need to go much heavier on the transfer portal than you were going on the high school ranks. Now, there's a huge caveat that I have to mention, and that is that Arizona State is still under an ongoing NCAA investigation. We know that sanctions are ultimately going to result in scholarship reductions. And if that's the case, and your recruiting class by default shrinks, then you're still going to be more compelled to actually go after the more proven players from the transfer portal rather than divide it half and half between transfer portal additions and high school player additions. So that's something that can maybe delay the desire or need to really get an abundance of talented high school players. So we may be a good two, three years from seeing Arizona State, again, assuming this program is 
marching in the right direction and really becoming one of the forces in the Big 12. Only then we would see Arizona State having the quote-unquote luxury of not really needing to get double-digit players from the transfer portal, but rather just being very pragmatic and very uh, laser-focused on very certain positions that they feel they need to actually recruit proven players that played at other Power 5 teams or other FBS teams for that matter. Last question from Twitter from Pinoy Joe one What are your thoughts, opinion on how Arizona State can retain coaches from leaving for promotions and bigger paychecks? Uh, Brian Ward, the Arizona State defensive coordinator, I have not seen an effective defense like that in a while. Coupled with very improved offense, ASU will be competitive in the quote-unquote no-defense Big 12. Wow, we're not Arizona State not in the Big 12 yet and already uh, trashing the conference for the lack of defense. But look, uh, I've said many times, I have the utmost respect for Brian Ward and the really commendable job that he's done with the Arizona State defense. Sure, you can talk about last year and uh, incompetent defensive coordinator and Donnie Henderson that produced an abysmal defensive unit for the Sun Devils and can say, well, this group, this defensive coordinator, role had nowhere but to go up because the bar was set so low. But nonetheless, that should not take anything away from the fine job that Warren and his staff are doing on this side of the ball. The talent they've been able to attract from the transfer portal and in some cases also from the high school ranks and the way they're able to develop and to coach them up. Brian Ward, as you know, uh, is somebody who was born and raised in the Valley in the Glendale area, if I'm not mistaken. So, he definitely has ties locally over here. And I don't know if he's really one defensive coordinator that is itching to leave Tempe after being here for a year or two. Um, I think that he found himself a pretty good niche that really from year one uh, was able to be successful living in an environment which, let's face, is a little more comfortable than living in Pullman, Washington. So... Should he be compensated as one of the top defensive coordinators in the country? Yes, I think there's definitely an argument to be made based on what he's done in only half a season over here at Arizona State. So money is always going to talk. I'm not under any illusion that the hometown discount is going to work over here with somebody like Ward or maybe any other members of his staff that have also the local ties to Arizona State. But... Nonetheless, he doesn't strike me as somebody that is really eager to have one, two, three good seasons in Arizona State and move on after that. If he gets a promotion to head coach, that's obviously a whole different story. But I think in Arizona State, if they do compensate Brian Ward well, which limited body of work or not, I think is definitely justified being compensated well. I think that Arizona State, in theory, and I stress in theory, because college football is such a dynamic, uh, crazy world that Arizona State should not be worried about losing Brian Ward to another defensive coordinator role elsewhere. Okay, moving on to our Facebook questions. First question comes from Eric Reed. When is offense, when offensive lineman Isaiah Glass returns after the bye week, who will start at left tackle? Bram Walden has played decent, and the battle for that starting spot was uh, close before Glass was injured. That's a great question, Eric. Uh, I think that Brown Walton has graded uh, pretty high uh, in the uh, weeks that he did uh, start at left tackle over glass. So I don't know if Arizona State coaching staff is really eager to just replace Walden with glass once glass is fully healthy to come back. I think it still might be one of those uh, close battles in practice, a battle that we saw, as you know, really take place. Uh, during a good portion of fall camp. So I think that right now it might be Walden's role to lose. But how much does Glass push him in practice and maybe applying the pressure that can ultimately have a healthy Glass regain his starting job at left tackle? That's something that's going to be really interesting uh, to follow. And uh, we may get an answer uh, next week as the team uh, ramps up their preparations for the road game in Seattle. Next question comes from Chris Montano. 
Recruiting wise, does it look like Arizona State is set to make a big jump next year? Uh, that's a question that I addressed uh, earlier in the podcast, but just to recap really quickly, I don't know if you're really going to see a high school class that is going to rank as one of the highest in the Pac 12 or even in the Big 12 for that matter, if we're looking forward, but it's still going to be a class that's going to be heavily reliant. On the transfer portal, Arizona State, if you recall, had the number two transfer portal class in all of college football, according to Rivals.com. So it's definitely going to be an avenue that Arizona State is is going to feel, I would even say, pressure to strike uh, gold in getting immediate impact players. So if you are going to see any jump in talent, I think it's going to be really more due to transfer portal additions rather than high school additions. But the goal for Arizona State is really to reverse uh, that landscape and be less less and less reliant on transfer portal newcomers and rather really do well, if not very well, in the high school ranks. And we'll see if that's something that is going to take place. I would even say maybe at this point in the 27, 28 classes, because again, you do have that uh, looming cloud of the NCAA investigation and having sanctions, which you do not know yet how they do materialize when it comes to recruiting class reductions. And the more reduced the recruiting class is going to be, the heavier Arizona State is going to have to go in the transfer portal route. Next question comes from Steve Shortbus Kraus. With the original message of keeping Arizona kids home, appears also to be a massive focus shift to the hashtag Texas to Tempe narrative. What is the current staff doing to actually keep kids at home? Look, Steve, I, I think that this Arizona State staff, when it comes to recruiting, can walk and chew gum at the same time. And what I mean is, sure, you've got two great recruiters in the state of Texas in Brian Carrington and Rashad Samples, but I think Arizona State is still utilizing the good recruiters that they have in their backyard, like Jason Mons, Charlie Ragel, Sean Aguano, Kenny Dillingham, obviously the head coach, who has an extensive history of recruiting the Valley of the Sun. So I really think it's something that can be balanced um, quite nicely. I mean, one of the highest rated prospects uh, in the class right now is uh, Dylan Tapley, a uh, four-star uh, recruit from, from Desert Mountain High School. So I think as, as time goes on, you'll see more and more talented kids, uh, talented in-state kids, that is, that are, that are, are going to join the ranks. And I don't see why Arizona State cannot be uh, successful with uh, recruiting their their backyard in an effective manner. And look, you're always going to have the local kids that do want to spread their wings and play out of state. You know, Kenny Dillingham was part of a Todd Graham staff that won back-to-back 10 games and still saw a good number of talented in-state kids that were not impressed enough by what Arizona State achieved and just wanted to go out of state come hell or high water. And if that's how a kid feels, regardless of how he perceives the Arizona State program, that that's definitely prerogative. I mean, look, Maricopa County, it seems like in the last decade, maybe decade plus, is uh, one of the fastest growing counties in the entire U.S., maybe, maybe the fastest growing county. So just like you have people from all over the country itching to come and live here in the Valley of the Sun, you've got a lot of football players that have this incredible opportunity to have their college paid for this day and age, also have some NIL income lining up their pockets to go and venture out uh, from the place that they've been born and raised just to experience something differently. So that's something that's always going to affect Arizona State's ability to recruit their own backyard. But I think, again, with prospects like D- Dylan Tapley, Plas Johnson from uh, from Chaparral High School, both of them in Scottsdale, by the way, uh, I think that Arizona State is doing a good job as much as they can do with a first-year staff recruiting their backyard. And I think you'll see more and more talented in-state uh, players that are going to choose Arizona State and maybe be less tempted to go elsewhere. I know Kenny Dillingham and his staff do a great job of just talking about that life after football aspect and how much e- easier it is if you want to come back and settle in the Valley. And again, we're talking about Maricopa County, you know, growing on so rapidly year in and year out, then a lot of those players 
are going to want to make their home in the place that we're born and raised at. And being an Arizona State alumnus, having that alumni network can help you so much, whether you were lucky enough to play in the NFL for five, maybe even 10 years, and then come back and have a quote unquote real job or somebody. And that's really the majority of college players, obviously, that uh, was not able to latch on to the NFL, maybe does not want to play in the CFL or any other professional league over outside of the country. So now when you want to build a career here in the Valley of the Sun, I think on average it's easier to do as an ASC alumnus versus somebody who actually played their college years elsewhere. Next question comes from Travis Rogers. How do uh, I see the offensive line recruiting for Arizona State shaping up in this class? Well, Travis, I think it's going back to my earlier point of wanting to get offensive linemen from the transfer portal who are physically matured and mentally matured to play a position that is very, very hard for a true freshman to play and play effectively in. When it comes to the high school ranks, the only offensive lineman they have right now as a commit is uh, Champ Westbrooks from Los Angeles. And he's actually uh, somebody that uh, I've been talking to some recruiting analysts who I really value their opinion. And they said they've been really, really impressed with what they saw from Westbrooks. Now, I'm not here to suggest that uh, he's going to be in the two deep as a true freshman, let alone start. But I think that when it comes to recruiting offensive linemen from the high school ranks, Arizona State is ready to take those developmental guys, guys that are going to be worth the investments two, three years down the road. And maybe a guy like Westbrook is not going to take three years, but actually sooner than that to really be in the two deep or even in a bigger role. But uh, you're really going to have to look at who they add from the transfer portal. And I don't want to sound repetitive here, but offensive line, defensive line, those are positions that you're going to have to have a good quantity from the transfer portal, but more importantly, a lot of good quality coming from that recruiting route. Because Arizona State, I would say, especially in the interior of the defensive line and all across the offensive line, is really going to have to add some serious talent to those positions in order to be more successful in 2024. Next question comes from GM Meisel. What uh, is the status of the NCAA investigation? That's a question that I addressed earlier. I feel there's a chance, I'm not going to say good, I'm not going to say great, but a chance that it does wrap up by the end of the calendar year. Would I be floored if it spills into first quarter of 2024? Absolutely not. Um, in terms of the possible sanctions, which I don't know if you were asking that question or not, um, I feel that at this point, with the self-imposed uh, postseason ban already in place, uh, some uh, self-imposed uh, sanctions that Arizona State took in previous years in terms of limiting numbers of number, I'm sorry, of off-campus evaluation days, uh, really preventing some coaches like Herm Edwards and Antonio Pierce back then from even uh, leaving campus. Uh, period for any uh, recruiting evaluations, limiting numbers of uh, official and unofficial visitors from coming. Uh, I, I like to think that the only additional sanction that uh, is going to come down on Arizona State and this time really being imposed by the NCAA rather than the school itself is going to be reduction of, uh, of scholarship numbers. And we'll see what kind of impact uh, that's going to have on Arizona State's uh, recruiting class. Next question comes from uh, Vicky Piccola Middleton. Uh, would uh, Maybe this is, I guess, more of a statement than a question. I would love to see winning those close games, but I am really proud of those young men that are playing with so many disadvantages, but they're playing with so much heart. Love our devils. And I, I think you're right, Vicky. I think there's something to be said about the, uh, the spirit and the uh, non-quit of this uh, program. As I said earlier in the podcast, this program could really have given up very early in the season after that 20-9-0 20 home defeat to Fresno State. And since then, we saw them absolutely battle 
against USC, against Cal, against Colorado. No, I'm not a believer in moral victories. But when you see the progress and you see better performance, and more importantly, you see the mental makeup of this team, the psyche of this squad not being dampened by everything that they went through, I think uh, that is something that definitely attests to how much the players believe in Kenny Dillingham and his staff and really the effectiveness of Dillingham and his staff not having this team uh, go down a dark uh, hole of despair, for lack of a better term, and really just giving up on the season, even though they're in the midst of a five-game losing streak. Last question from Facebook, and again, not a question, more of a statement from Michael Hill. Fire Ray Anderson if ASU truly wants this football program to move forward. They have to fire the source of all this uh, problem. Still, does narrative die? Um, I'm definitely not somebody who's shying away from that narrative. I've been uh, public about it, let alone private as well, of uh, Ray Anderson needing to part ways with Arizona State. The fact that he's the one that brought Herm Edwards, who by default brought Antonio Pierce, who by default brought an ongoing incident investigation that has already done a lot of damage to the program and there's still some more damage to be done when it comes to recruiting classes. I think that uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Ray Anderson does not justify being here one more extra day. Again, maybe it's going to take the conclusion of the NCAA investigation for his tenure to end in Tempe, but it is absolutely a move that Michael Crow has to partake. I know he fe- he's feeling more and more pressure to do so, whether it's from the great job that's been done by the uh, uh, mobile billboards that are there. I mean, heck, even a uh, fiery Anderson son got onto college game day uh, on ESPN this past Saturday, whether it's some boosters that, plain and simple, have told Michael Crow, have told people in the fake department they're not going to really donate one red penny to the program or to the thick department as a whole until Ray Anderson is gone. So I think that's a narrative that uh, is alive in terms of a need uh, and a change at an athletic director. It's anybody's guess how soon or how much later it actually does take place. But uh, I do agree that for the health of this uh, football program in years to come, that uh, Ray Anderson should not be the athletic director at Arizona State. If that's the message that's been directed to me, you are preaching to the choir, my friend. So now we move to the last social media platform of our questions, Instagram. First one comes from phil.avrz. He feels like Arizona State played a great game against Colorado. Trent Bourget, the ASU quarterback, made some great throws. Did Arizona State miss an opportunity to get some early season confidence not starting Trent Bourget? I'm happy the team is playing hard. And where was Conyers uh, yesterday? Well, I already addressed uh, Jalen Conyers uh, and uh, his move from tight end to wide receiver and just really just uh, underperforming maybe some objective reasons, some not so objective reasons contributing to that. But it feels as if he will turn the page in the latter half of this season and do play better. Uh, in terms of Trent Bourget, look, I mean, I made the case that he should have been the starter, uh, you know, you know, this year. Uh, the coaching staff evaluation had him not only behind Jaden Rashada, who started the first two games, but also behind uh, Drew Pine. Now, now that those two players are injured, uh, Trent Bourget, quarterback, has done a pretty good job. I know the numbers on the one hand are impressive, but on the other hand, just from the totality of the offense and being uh, able to consistently move the ball, let alone put up a good number of points on the scoreboard, that definitely has been an issue. But I think when you look at offensive output, then yes, what we saw against Cal, what we saw against uh, Colorado has definitely been um, the two two most impressive games from that perspective compared to earlier games. Uh, One issue we talked about earlier the lack of production in the second half, which was also under Jaden Rashada and now also appearing against Trenborg, uh, appearing, I'm sorry, under Trenborg, uh, scoring only uh, seven points in the second half against Colorado, which in a three point loss, uh, everybody can do the math and see what an opportunity was missed for a victory. But I think overall, Trenborg is doing an okay job. 
would like to see the offense to be more balanced, which is not on Borgay, obviously, but more on the running backs playing better, on the offensive line as a whole playing better. But I also think that uh, Borgay, with some of his uh, decision-making, uh, can also string some better games for this Arizona State offense. But again, you're seeing some signs of improvement. Train Borgay is definitely part of that. So I do agree that uh, the offense is marching in the right direction. Maybe not as dramatically as fans and coaches, for that matter, would like to see it. But definitely going in the right direction, I feel, based on the last two games. Next question comes from D-Man Buzz. Do we think Oregon State and Washington State will also be joining the Big 12? Been hearing some rumors. Look, I'm not going to deny it. I mean, I've been hearing those, those rumors too. And uh, some rumors about ESPN willing to up the uh, Big 12 share per team if they did add Oregon State and Washington State to the mix. I'm very curious to see what's going to happen there. Uh, college football is uh, definitely one of those never say never uh, type of deals where you can expect everything and anything. There's nothing off the table, it seems like. So would I be surprised if those two teams ended up joining the Big 12? Absolutely not. You know, just today we heard uh, Gonzaga, obviously more in terms of Big 12 uh, basketball rather than football, uh, being a serious conversation to join the conference. So anything can really happen. Um, And I think that Oregon State and Washington State uh, do not want to be part of the Pac-12 or the soon-to-be-expanded Mountain West Conference. So, yes, they definitely have a big incentive to join the Big 12. Uh, how much is there a mutual agreement from the other Big 12 members? Is it something that the Big 12 commissioner is really driving the bus here? Or is there really desire from the Big 12 members? Uh, that's something that's maybe kind of hard to ascertain right now. And, again, when it comes to the TV networks, which are really dictating everything when it comes to conference realignment, are they really going to give a bigger share uh, to the Big 12 if Oregon State and Washington State do join? That remains to be seen. Next question comes from Randazzo34. What's the likelihood that Jaden Rashad uh, stays? I know we were not uh, expected to win much, but 1-5 uh, and five and being blown out by Fresno State is going to hurt recruiting and the transfer portal. But there's no reason a three-star recruit or higher would choose um, Arizona State over a uh, WAC or Mountain West uh, school right now. Uh, look, I wouldn't, wouldn't go that far, okay? There's still an allure of being part of a Power 5 program. Even the Mountain West did merge with Oregon State and Washington State and become the new Pac-12 or the new Mountain West. I don't think that's really going to trump being part of a Power 5 program like the Big 12 or the Big, 12, Big, uh, Big 10, SEC, or ACC if a recruit decided to go to a conference like that. So I feel that Arizona State still is an attractive place uh, to recruits, and I think that when you have a program that is struggling, the opportunity to play immediately, especially for transfer portal players, but even in some cases for freshmen, is definitely there compared to other programs. And what Arizona State cannot offer in NIL, it can offer an immediate playing time. So that's one aspect that for some recruits might be more important. So that's something that needs to be taken into consideration. I think Jaden Rashada does stay. Uh, look, his um, journey to Arizona State, you know, being a one-time Miami commit, being a one-time Florida signee that actually got out of his letter of intent to, to the NIL is well-documented. We know he's son of a legacy. So I don't see Jaden Rashada being dismayed with the Arizona State program. He got injured. That's why he's not playing uh, right now. I think that Arizona State coaching staff is definitely going to play two more games in November to make it a total of four games played to preserve his red shirt. I think the Arizona State coaching staff, definitely privately, but also publicly, have made it crystal clear that Jaden Rashada is the future of the program. So I don't think that uh, he would get just as good as an opportunity elsewhere as he's getting here in Tempe. Next question comes from uh, Mateo Cruz, 28. Uh, even doing poorly, even doing poorly, I'm sorry, the prestige of uh, being a Power 4 slash Power 5 uh, program over a, group for, over a Group 5 program is hard to overcome. We're not going to be losing any major recruits to a Group 5 school. I think that's a response to an earlier question that was posed over there, and I do agree. Arizona State is going to lose recruits to Power 4 slash Power 5 programs. That's always going to happen. But uh, they're not going to lose a recruit 
that they that they're going head to head with a group five program. Next question, actually the last question, uh, coming from uh, CGBS Sports Cards. How does athletic director Ray Anderson still have a job? Years of diminishing athletic returns, recruiting booster scandals, civil lawsuits, etc. Look, I mean, I, I do agree that uh, he's definitely as worn out as welcome over here in Tempe. Uh, University President Dr. Michael Crow is uh, taking his time in parting ways with Ray Anderson, but I think it is going to take place sooner rather than later. But what does sooner look like in terms of number of weeks, number of months? It's really anybody's guess. And that will do it for this episode of the Devil Junkies podcast. Thank you so much to all the Sun Devil fans who sent great questions. I hope you appreciated my replies. I definitely was as candid and direct as possible because that is the type of coverage that I believe that you deserve as Arizona State fans. And if you want to hear and read more of my coverage, you know what to do. Become a premium subscriber at devilsdigest.com. There's a lot more context that I can provide on these questions that were answered today, maybe some of the questions that have not been asked in this podcast, but will be asked uh, in the near and distant future. Would love to have you as part of my community of passionate Sun Devil fans just like yourself. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time.